The night is still, and a low mist hangs close to the ground, like it's lying in wait to pounce on a wayward traveler who has let their mind wander from the ecstasy of the journey. The pathway jogs to the left and up a small rise towards a humble structure silhouetted by the moon, where light pours from a cycloptic window into the dour shades of deepest night. A question now surfaces in your mind, like an ancient carp rising to break the mirrored surface of his domain. From whence is this unearthly glow manifest? Is it a lamp? Something more? Indeed it is. It is a beacon for the myriad lost souls in the world, lighting their wretched path and hastening them home. Yep, it's the Jeremy Webisodes podcast. Hello. Hello to all you myriad lost souls and wretched travelers. Thank you for joining us here once again at the Jeremy Webisodes podcast. You know, we really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to be here every week. It means an awfully lot to us because, after all, you are the true reason for the season. If you weren't here, we would be sitting around uh, talking to ourselves, and that's not a podcast. That's insanity. And that's, that's not a good look for anyone. So, so thank you for being here, if for no other reason, uh, for, for keeping us from going absolutely and totally insane. So we really appreciate it. This webisode was recorded Wednesday, July 30th, 2020, and I am once again joined in the studio by my good friends Ryan Hatch and Joss McGinty. This week we are drinking a Whistle Pig Piggyback 100% Rye, aged six years. It's proofed at 96.56 and costs about uh, $45 a bottle. So uh, I really enjoyed it. Let's see what the boys think. Um, Why don't we just join the conversation? Already in progress. All right, so what's behind the bar this week, Joss? Well, on tap tonight, gentlemen, is six-year-aged whistle pig piggyback 100% rye. 100% rye, what? guys. It is 96.4 proof, so it's got some action. Hot. Let's see how much action. I'm gonna... 96.4 proof. Give a pretty good splash here. We're going to pour a little bit. Can I have some? little bit more. So 100% rye this week, gentlemen. If you remember last week, we discussed how uh, what it took to be a bourbon and that it was a 51% mash bill of corn. This week, we're drinking 100% rye. So why do you keep doing that? Why, rye? (laughs) Oh. See where he's going See what I did there? Oh, get it? Because his name is Ryan. I I think we're on, Ryan's on his second bottle. (laughs) All right, belly o. Delicious, cinnamony, spicy, clean finish. Wow, really cinnamony. Very cinnamony. 
and much less spicy than I would have thought it was going to be for a, wa- a rye. I feel like a lot of times uh, ryes tend to be very spicy, at least in my experience, but this is smooth and nice. Smooth. I kind of got a jet fuel finish. Really? Yeah. Huh. I, that's not on the ad. Yeah, no. that's not. I don't that's think that's. advertisement. Uh, but you know what's funny is I actually, I watched a, uh, a documentary. I've, I've, I've watched sev- several documentaries. Um, and I can't think of it off the top of my head. Uh, but there is a documentary put out by the master. It, it features the master distiller at Buffalo Trace. And um, it's, it's, it's worth a watch. On that podcast or on that uh, documentary, uh, the the guy talks about how actually it's uh, it's a there's a there's a chick on the on the documentary that talks about how no matter how because I mean she's a professional she's a distributor uh, alcohol distributor so she's constantly going on site and drinking alcohol with people at restaurants and and liquor stores trying to make the sale and she says. Regardless of who you are and how refined your palate is and how much whiskey you may drink, uh, the, the first sip is generally going to taste like gasoline. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a bad thing that it tastes like jet fuel to you, fuel to you because that's that's a quite common thing. I mean, it's this is a high-proof whiskey. Um, try try another sip, though, and yeah. see if maybe you – it's kind of – once once your palate's acclimated a little bit. Mm. And Delicious. again, I'm in. I'm very. We're in. drinking it straight here, so perhaps a couple drops of water, mm-hmm. perhaps an ice cube. You know, one of the listeners posed that question to me: What is the proper way to drink whiskey? And uh, that same documentary that I am referring to, the the Buffalo Trace documentary, and I'll figure out what what it's called if, if I, and I'll and I'll and I'll tell you here at some point. Um. But the guy says the answer to that question is the the right way to drink whiskey, really. However you like it. However you like it. If you like it on Coke, if you like it on, you know, I mean, on that's ice, not the move. No, it, it literally is. If that's how you like to drink it, then drink it that way. Because whiskey is meant to be consumed and enjoyed and shared with friends and however you do that it is the correct way to do it so there are really no stipulations to how to drink it now that's not to say that if you are truly trying to taste the specifics of the art of of, if you're trying to taste the grain and you're trying to taste what's happened in the oak because let's talk about that and what a beautiful amber color that this this rye has right um a hundred percent of that color comes from the barrel that it was aged in. A lot of people don't realize that. All alcohol goes comes out of the still, the, the clear. clear, and a hundred percent of the color, and up to, are it, it? I've heard different percentages, but arguably up to seventy, eighty percent of the flavor comes from the oak. I have a question. Yeah, and a comment. Question first. It says pot distilled. Can you go into what that means? I can. But before I get there, let me finish expounding on what I was just saying. So all of that cinnamon and all of the vanilla and all the sweetness and that you're tasting, that's 100% a quality of the oak that it was aged in. Isn't that amazing? That, that you know, you're tasting – it doesn't taste like wood. Like you said, the very first word that came mm-hmm. out of your mouth, Joss, was cinnamon. And it does. It has a very cinnamon toasty. Right, toasty. The toastiness is Sitting there. Sitting by the fire uh, nip. Mm-hmm. Right? Can yeah, you see this, like, this after, does. I think uh, a holiday, uh, a winter holiday, 
by a fire. Yeah. It'd be quite nice. Yeah. I think I the docu the doco you were referring to, the quest for the perfect bourbon, Voices of Buffalo Trace. Okay. Well there you go. Thank you. Two thousand eleven. Thank you for bu- for for joining in there. That's why we have you on the show every week. <laughs> He's really, really good with all this high technology that yeah. you got going on I mean, around here. <laughs> you want a deeper dive. Hey, they have internet on, on phones now. Yeah. Wow. Really? I still have a rotary, and it doesn't the, – the, I just cannot – it's yeah. so hard to type in your internet – your email address with a rotary phone. Well, Ryan, don't break the third wall here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you like it. It's I good. I um, Liquor distributor. You you drink with the customer to ensure their happiness, right? That could go terribly awry. You uh, need awry. I, mean, you, I like uh, how you work it in there. See, that's writing. No, that's comedy. Have you? Uh, could you? Could you have the fortitude to have one sip or two sips? No, I mean I think anybody that has. Do dr- they Uber? Yeah, prob- probably. I, I mean, mean, drinking is part of your job. You should probably figure out a way to not have to drive. I mean, we had a right. We had some friends that like we're Ubering you know, home tonight yeah, because we, we figure we're gonna come here, do a couple of these, and yeah. So wow, we have some friends that were wine distributors, and uh, uh, they you know had the downfall of not getting an Uber. Granted, it was before Uber, but um, you know you can't. It's tough to be a wine because you want to have your customer know what it tastes like so they Absolutely. can talk to the talk to the general public about it so they got to know what it is but then again there's a fine line between being a great salesman and an alcoholic and like having your like tie around your head right like. that's not the <laughs> and that's if not you're you gonna come deals. out of the place with the tie around your head don't drive right i mean that's a general rule of thumb if you've yeah. ended up with a piece of clothing that doesn't usually go on your head yeah. on your head don't drive right if you're drinking this out of a shoe Right. Yeah. Probably enough. Underpants yeah. don't go on your head if you're going to go driving afterwards. Is a general rule of thumb I try to live by. If when you get home from work, you climb up into a tree naked, probably should have taken a call. Right. That's a rough day. Right. Well, I got to tell you, what I, one of the things that I'm most surprised about is just the general lack of uh, heat that I would expect, not only from the high proof, ninety, uh, you know, over... Let's remind the general listening audience that Jack Daniels is 86 proof. So this is this is uh, 10 and a half. This is nine, what 96.5. Yeah, yeah n- 10 and a half. Yeah, it's got legs. Points higher. It's definitely got but some. I, but but the heat it, it's not blasting my tongue. It hasn't you know completely lit my mouth on fire. And the heat that I would expect from a rye, because generally I think of rye as a very green kind of peppery grain, but. Mm. What's um how how old is Jack Daniels? Uh, I think it's eight years. I don't I don't oh, know right, off the know. top of my head. I mean, we, would, we probably something because in my head is telling me eight years. I feel like I, I remember that I on the find neck that, of the bottle. I find that uh, you know, granted, I'm the you know the the whiskey lightweight in the room, but I find something that's uh, that a, an older, um, even a older, higher percentage alcohol is smoother. Than a young, high but not not equivalent. Like if if you're saying Jack Daniels is eighty something and this is ninety six, you know I I I tend to find the older but even higher to be a little smoother than than the younger. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing that mellows like age. Yeah. You, you can't fake age. And I mean, as look, a, as look d- at Joss. Right. 
I mean, look how mellow. He used to be a wild man. <laughs> I mean, proof is in the pudding. I have mellowed out. <laughs> well, have you seen my pants? Wow. <laughs> They're on your head. <laughs> Don't try. Pot, pot distilled? Can okay, get, yeah, let's get back to that. So it? pot distilled, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of uh, a still. And, and a still for those of you who don't know, is the piece of equipment literally that you are using to create the spirit. So you you ferment. We'll go through the process real quick here. What you're taking is you, you, you take sugar and however you can source your sugar. So generally, uh, well, with whiskey, sugar is always grain. And tonight, for instance, it's rye. So they, they take the rye and they go through a process of sacrificing the rye, not sacrificing, right? Sacrificing, which means converting the starch. First, you extract the starch from the grain, and then you have to convert that starch into sugar. Then once you have the sugar, then you have a yeast that converts the sugar into alcohol. And that's the process of fermentation. So when you're making beer, wine, you're, you're getting your, your sugar from whatever source it is, from grain or fruit, and then you are using a yeast to, to, to change it into alcohol. So that's fermentation. Then once you have a fermented product, a beer or a wine, you put it in a still, which essentially is boiling off all the water and concentrating the alcohol. And, uh, and then you, you, you have what comes out the other end is a spirit. So if you put beer in one end, white dog whiskey comes out the other end. A pot still is just a kind of still. It is a, literally a, a giant pot that you put the, the ferment in and you, you boil it and you pull off the, the, the water and you concentrate the, the alcohol and there you go. Then you stick it in a barrel and what comes out the other end is tasty. Nice. I, have a, um, <clears throat> I have a friend of mine uh, named Scottish Tom. By the name, you'll understand that he's Scottish. <laughs> yeah, okay, great. Um, yeah. And uh, we were hanging out and- Is he a kilt wearer? Uh, for special occasions. Nice. Does he walk in a room with bagpipes playing? No, no. But I think that would be pretty good. That would. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. I wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't be horrible. It wouldn't be horrible. Did you have a quick splash? But I, I, and I only, I only bring that, bring that up because uh, he had asked my experience with scotch, and I, I didn't really have one. You know, I'm sure I've had some at some point, but he brought some scotch over, and um, and we literally did the okay. Here's a couple of drops of water. You know, taste it now. And then taste it with a couple drops of water, and it's amazing how much it, like, opened up. You know, and it can. It, I mean, some people will ar- argue to their death that you're watering it down. Um, yeah. So again, it and just, I'll just it, let them die. Yeah, it literally comes down to how you how you like to drink it. Yeah. If you think that it it if if, if it the the flavor compounds you're looking for kind of are released by a couple drops of water. Yeah. No. There and, you go. And it, and it some people like the. For lack of a better term, the heat from the yeah. alcohol. Some people like that, you know. And so any slight bit of watering down would be. Yeah, and it wasn't. It wasn't to to, to show me that it, you know uh, it's supposed to be you know drinking with water. Right, right. Um, it was just to show me you know just what a couple of drops of water did, and that might you know make it more pleasing to you or what you know one ice cube you know what you could do with that. But it was it was pretty cool because I just had never tried it on that close a scale like. Here's just straight scotch. Here's a couple of drops of water. Here's an ice cube. 
and it was it was pretty dramatic. And all of a sudden, you're three scotches in. You know, and all of a sudden, <laughs> that might have had something to do with it, also. You know, right? I mean, the difference between one drop, two drops, and an ice cube. I mean, you're, every yeah. time, I mean, it's it's definitely it's going to be changing the 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 final product for sure. So. Again, and, and if you want to throw a Coke in there, and that's how you like to do it, then more power to you. And, and, and the distiller, the guy who's trying to sell you the bottle, would absolutely agree with me. Sure. What, whatever gets it in you. So, Will you drink more if, I put, if you put Coke in it? Great. Right. Would you like two bottles? I mean, Jack did a very, very – I think Jack Daniels did an amazing job co-marketing with Coca-Cola. Yeah. I mean, Jack yeah. and Coke, it's like rolls off your tongue. It's almost, you know, it's ubiquitous. Nice word usage. Thank you. Um, so here's something you guys not, might not know. We're, we're drinking a rye. And uh, so rye, a lot of grain uh, will have – I mean, as a guy – we were talking last week, trying to grow stuff in the garden. It's, it's, it's damn near impossible because literally nature is constantly trying to thwart your efforts, be it rats, animals, disease, fungus – so grain commonly gets attacked, just like every other outdoor plant. And it has a rye has a, a a fungus that grows on it called ergot, E R G O T. And ergot is a very interesting thing because when you eat it, you go crazy, and um, it makes you do all sorts of interesting things. It can cause your skin to burn, it can cause you to hallucinate, it can cause you to uh, writhe and have muscle spasms, uh, it can cause you to bleed, uh, particularly females, um, and so getting ergot poisoning, it, it can be kind of a gnarly thing, and it was happening, just like a lot of things were, it was happening during a time where people didn't really understand what was going on. Right back in the dark ages and the middle ages, things would happen and, and they would say, oh, you know, stick leeches on them. Or, <laughs> you know, they had all sorts of interesting ways of dealing with stuff because they really didn't know what was going on. Oh, it's his blood. So it's clearly it, we got to get his blood out of him or, you know, his humors are off. We, you know, it's, it's like, what are you talking about? My, my humors. So they, they didn't know what the hell was going on. So people would see ergot poisoning happening and they would be like, oh my God, they're possessed. And if you go back, it's very interesting. There's, I read, uh, uh, you know, I, I kind of got interested because I knew we were going to drink a rye, and I kind of went down this rabbit hole, and I started to read all about ergot poisoning. And there's, there's some very famous cases, and I'm going to talk about one specific very famous case. But throughout history, I'm actually going to talk about two because throughout history, ergot poisoning seems to maybe have been a factor in some of the things that at the time they had no idea what was actually going on. One of the ones I'm most referring to is the Salem witch trials. So what what happens is there's there's this historian that's gone back and they've they've gone to places where rye was the grain that was particularly grown in that region because rye tends to grow better in colder whatever reason regions so they've gone to areas where rye was the the part the grain that was grown and they've researched back and found that part, during these years where it was particularly cold um or particularly wet and uh you know situations that where ergot loves to grow on the crops 
right after those situations occurred, they had all these these crazy things occur, one of which is the Salem witch trials. And so, so what happened is, what, what they postulated is that they, Salem got a hold of a batch of bad rye, the bakers baked it into their bread, and then what happened is all of a sudden people all over town are writhing and seeing shit, and the young girls are bleeding, and so everyone's like, okay, well, they're possessed, uh, you know, who's in, whose fault is it? We got, there's obviously a witch around here. So they started looking for someone to blame for what was going on uh, when they should have been blaming the baker. And what, what was actually happening is these people were all suffering from ergot poisoning and they were blaming witches and hanging people. So in one year in Salem, they hung, they tried and hung or burnt or drowned. They killed 200 people in Salem in one year. Because they were looking for witches that that didn't exist, because they got a hold of some bad bad rye, and that's just one of one of the many historical situations that are that that are possibly respond Ergot is responsible for, and then there's some that are almost most definitely. Um, but I was going to say that I should be nervous. To uh, we drank something that's a hundred percent rye. How long, how do we know that doesn't have Ergot? Well, let me tell you. I did a little research into that, and uh, the uh, American Distilling, uh, where where is it here? ADI, the American Distilling Institute, uh, has done research into that, and they indicate that the ergot doesn't seem to transfer during distillation, but they recommend you not try it. If you get a hold of some bad rye that you suspect it has ergot, probably don't use that and sell it to people, is their, their general what they've warned distillers. So question is, it, it, it's not it's not in the rye. We're good to go. Even if it was ergity rye and we're drinking 100%. Would six years kill it off? Well, I don't think, I think the, the distillation process, I, I literally don't think it would make it through the process, process of distillation. I mean, that's, that's why they started distilling in, in, in the first place. It was to purify whatever it is they, what they had so they could make sure that it wasn't full of poop. And like... Right. All the other stuff you didn't want to drink in the water. I mean, that's why in ancient cities, Egypt, I mean, all the way up into pretty modern Dublin, they drink the booze because yeah. <laughs> at least you could be sure they didn't have poop in it. Yeah, right. Even pregnant women drank Guinness because it was just, you know, the water was distilled before it went in there. Um, I think the, the key to your story is, uh, ergo, a bunch of witches died. <laughs> See, that's that's keeping the comedy fresh. Well, do you, no. do you believe in witches? No. Well, I mean, I've met a few. I think they're all a bunch of. I think they're they're stuff. Oh wait, through. wait. You said witches. <laughs> Stop. Um. So there's this. There's so that was all happening back in the day, right? You're thinking like 17th century. They must have fixed it, right? Okay. Or at least like figured out how to spot it, right? So in 1951, in France, in a little town called Pointe-Saint-Esprit, they got a hold of some bad ergot. And by the time that the National Guard showed up, like six days later, the town was on fire. An 11-year-old had tried to strangle his mom. People were openly fornicating in public. (laughs) 
it, it was absolutely crazy. I mean, it was like it was like an episode from Twilight Zone. I, I know this one a little bit more. Uh, uh, one guy, I think there were seven deaths and at least fifty put into an insane asylum. Five dead, thirty hospitalized, three hundred sick. Three hundred sick. The one one of the deaths I heard is a guy thought he was an airplane. Yeah, that's that's the famous one. That's the... He screams in French, "I'm an airplane!" and then he jumps off like a, a the hospital, the seven story win- thing, but then gets up and continues to like run away after he oh, hits he didn't the ground. Die? No, he wasn't one of the five. Deaths. I don't think he was one of the ones that died, or maybe he died later. But I remember reading the story. He like, "I'm an airplane," jumps and like bounces and like gets up and runs another thirty feet, maybe before keeling over or something. This is not. People with muskets and brooms. This is post World War Two. Yeah, nineteen fifty one. This is like our our parents were alive for this. Right, right. That right. is nuts. And then, second of all, isn't French super France super known for great bread bakeries? Well, I mean, that's the thing, and they all eat it, right? It's a daily ritual to go to the baker, get your your bread, and so that, that and that's. I mean, now. There is a conspiracy. There are several, actually, conspiracy theories connected to the point, uh, whatever that place was called. The, the, Esprit. Yeah, Esprit, a whole catastrophe. Obviously, I mean, they, they've said that it was c- continuation of CIA MK Ultra experiments and all sorts of stuff that you know, they put acid in the water supply. None of it is, you know, it's all hearsay, but most logically, it, it was ergot. I wonder if that made national news or if that town and even the province and country covered that up, man. Like, I don't know. It some, seems like it was pretty fresh baguettes ready tomorrow morning. We don't want it, the world to know I, about that. I heard that uh, Jerry Garcia showed up the next day. Well, there. Hey, thanks, Ryan, for helping me make that transition. <laughs> Did he really? Oh, I, I have like, no idea what the years no, are. No, but. That one. Like, <laughs> But what Ryan's is I'm thinking you did. <laughs> I think what Ryan is is referring to there is that uh, eventually a guy named Albert Hoffman uh, in in Switzerland in like 1930 I got it some here 1930 something synthesized a part of ergot that we know today as lysergic acid or LSD. So the, uh, they basically took all the, the hallucinating and all that stuff and found a way to synthesize that part of the, you know, the molecule or whatever. And so ergot le- leads the, the direct line from, from ergot to, uh, to LSD. And... Um, and in fact, that's how this guy Albert Hoffman discovered it, is they were experimenting on ergot, and he was trying to find, you know, they, for medical uses, and he was trying to find, uh, like, a medicine from it for whatever use, pulmonary yeah. or respiratory. I mean, that, that was going to be my next question is, was when he was looking at it, was he just an old-school chemist that, that saw something unique and wanted to go after it? He was it, searching for a respiratory circulatory for, okay. stimulant. Okay. Can I ask a question? Yeah. I, of course, I'm trying to be funny, but I actually— I'm, Half mean it too. No, like, I want you. I want you to. If be. you like see people thinking they're planes, fornicating and strangling parents and jumping, hey, let's make I, some I, of that. Yeah, you know, let's. I think they're onto something for a cure to right. the common cold. Right, right. Entire cities are on opposite. fire. People are having sex in public. Eleven-year-olds are strangling their mom, and the guy's like, 
think there's probably something yeah. medical well, here. I think something I think pharmaceutical he, we should look yeah, into. Let's look he into was that. very astute because what he noticed is that everybody was breathing aggressively. Right. Yeah. And he was there's like, a lot of I'm breathing. looking, the heavy I'm looking, breathing. a little heavy breathing. He's like, he was looking for a respiratory stimulant. Right, right. You know, he was like, wow, apparently Maybe he can look is. past the fornicating. <laughs> I, can, I can look past the guy thinking he was a Pan Am. Yeah. <laughs> so if you haven't picked it up, ladies and gentlemen, I, I did a little kind of deep dive. Rye took me down a very interesting rabbit hole, to be, to use a great metaphor, uh, this week. And, uh, and I think it's an interesting story because a lot of it I didn't know. Um and I think, like, like anything, really, yeah, they see this, this, this stuff, and it's causing people to go crazy and all this. And the guy, and he's like, I'm gonna try to see what we can pull out of that. That should, that should be good for the heart, you know? Yeah. Or it's like anything. I always wonder how the first Indian was like, I'm gonna put that in my pipe. I'm gonna light it on fire. I'm gonna breathe it in. It's like, why would you ever think to do that? That doesn't sound like that would be good for you. But they don't, you know, they weren't. I don't know. Right. I mean, generally, t- tobacco leaves didn't well, isn't good kill each other. I mean, it seems a little right. More right. Egregious. They didn't see people like inhaling burning bush and then go eleven year old right. strangling their mom. Right. And the resumes building here: the Salem witch trials. Right. Uh, so long France. line of terrible, <laughs> horrible shit. things going on. And they're like, "Yeah, we're going to synthesize that stuff. Seems like good stuff." Yeah. You know, it's an interesting question. Um, well, and my my next immediate question is is were they trying when they synthesized it were they trying to make it at, at its exact strength or were they like hey if we cut this down a little maybe it has benefits or maybe if we amplify it a well, bit. Well, that's the thing. Is it, At first, they had do? no idea. That's what's yeah. so crazy about it. And it, it's a very interesting story and kind of how the lines, how it all pans out. Um, I, I think very interesting. I mean, so this guy, he makes this stuff. Um, 1938, November 16th, it was first synthesized November 16th, 1938 in Switzerland. So he makes it. And then it doesn't do what he wants it to do, right? So they shelf it. They're like, okay. And they, it didn't even have a name there. It's like, you know, like surgic acid B or whatever, shelf it. Puts, it. puts it on the shelf, forgets about it for five years, okay? Then he comes back to it. And he's he's handling it in the office, and he abs- accidentally absorbs some in his hand, and and trips out, and he's like, "Whoa, like, what 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 the hell was that?" Um. So then he he realizes, okay, it has these these other qualities. Let's explore those. Sorry. So he let's explore those. So then he decides, I'm gonna dose myself. And he has li- literally no idea. Right, what 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 to expect from it? Um, so so I, mean, I have to yeah. assume that uh, in 1930 whatever, a chemist is probably a fairly straight laced person. Right, right. You know, right. like I'm sure they have they drink alcohol. They uh, but I mean, uh, like I can imagine this guy wears his lab coat home. You know, he he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's like, hey, look, I made a freebie. You know, like I made something in the lab that makes that's a good time. He's not a guy that comes home and says cannonball. Well, yeah. no, no, he's not. He's not a hippie. I mean, there's right. not, there isn't that. He's not some recreational drug user. He's a chemist in a lab, like doing research, right? So, yeah, six years later, uh, April sixteenth, nineteen forty-three, he's resynthesizing it, and he abs- accidentally spills some on his hand. Okay, and he says this. 
affected by a remarkable restlessness combined with a slight dizziness. And then they took him home. At home, I lay down and sank into a not unpleasant, intoxicated-like condition characterized by an extremely extremely stimulated imagination. In a dreamlike state, with in a dreamlike state with eyes closed i perceived an un- uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscope play of colors after some 2 hours this condition faded away so this is this first accidental dosing that happens to him mm-hmm. and he's like okay there's some this, this is there's something to this i should probably See, you know, see, there, there could be something good. This he was, th- they instantly started thinking psychological, mm-hmm. that you know, it's euphoric, it's it's colorful. They instantly started thinking this is this could be used for for psychological purposes. So he decides he he's gonna he's gonna fully dose himself. But to per your question earlier, they have no idea what's the appropriate dose. Yeah, I mean, they literally have zero idea. So. It's famous. This this day is famous, um, and it's celebrated. I, I think in hippie culture, they call it Bicycle Day. So it's like uh, three days later after the accidental dosing. Three days later, he's like, "Okay, let's let's test this stuff." So he intentionally ingests two hundred and fifty micrograms, and he he uh, he did that because he thought that was going to be the threshold dose. I have it somewhere in here what the actual threshold dose is, but it's like a quarter of that. <laughs> so so I think uh, is – so with LSD is are you seeing all the colors and doing all that because of the LSD? Or are you seeing and doing that because of your body's reaction and fighting of that LSD? I mean, I really can't answer that question, right? Because good... I think like mushrooms kind of poisons you, and the and the body reacts to it. And I think it's a both. I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. I mean, I think it causes your body. I think it's doing different things. But I, I really, I literally have no idea, and I'd have to do further research into that. But I think it's fitting receptors. I think it's yeah. causing receptors to create different or open up. Oh yeah, do do things. I, I literally, that's a good question. I don't know exactly how it works. In the brain, but so I know I know the doctor took a ton, <laughs> and then so much so that they had he, had he he was riding his bike home and he like forgot where he was going and that's why they call it bicycle day because he had a wonderful time and right didn't come home for a day and a half right but he saw most of Switzerland <laughs> right um and so so after the huge dose he realizes okay this is this is got some some value he takes it to his pharmaceutical company and they start producing it on a, on a pretty large scale and it's and that's when that's just when it gets very interesting because what starts to happen is that it goes out initially to psychologists um who decide to experiment on themselves before they are going to prescribe it to patients and what what they initially thought they were gonna do is that they were gonna create the this state of, um, and and Timothy Leary even talks about it at some point. It, there's the the whole high of taking LSD. He kind of equated to the like birth, life, death experience, and that was kind of what psychologists were going for. They were 
kind of thinking that if you went through this kind of big experience that you could go through a lot of recovery during that process. I mean, that's a very kind of layman's way of putting it. But they thought there was a lot of possibility for recovery during during the trip. I just think it's interesting. I mean, like I – I applaud that they used themselves. They had enough faith and knowledge of what they were doing that they used themselves as the guinea pig. But doesn't that eliminate their control group? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, definitely I, eliminates I heard, the impartiality. I've yeah. heard nothing about a rabbit or a mm. bat or some other first trial. I mean, he went right to it. Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he he said from the, initially he, he he's considered it a sacred drug said, I see the true importance of LSD and the possibility of providing material aid to meditation aimed at the mystical experience of a deeper, comprehensive reality. I mean, that definition... The guy was high. ...tells me he enjoyed it. Because well, yeah, that he, doesn't sound like a, a a starched shirt chemist. Right. You know? So you got to understand, though, what's so interesting is this is happening real time right now, right? Mm-hmm. So now we're, like, in the 40s, and... And people are so now it's leaking out into society because because doctors are trying it and they're like, oh, wow, this is pretty profound. And they're giving it to patients and patients are like, wow. And they're sharing it with their friends. But not only that, the doctors, the doctors were sharing it. All these names that you see come up because at the time there was there was one initially is one guy making it. And at the at the highlight of during the 60s, when, you, when you're thinking of everybody making acid or doing acid, there's like four or five guys in the whole world that make it. So everybody knew everybody. And it's, it was doctors and artists. And, and, and let me just throw a couple names out here. So it, it's because it's interesting how, the, how it goes. So this guy Hoffman discovers it right it starts leaking out into society a couple years later um a guy uh, what's his name who's like the president of jp morgan mm. wasner wasson yeah writes a newsweek article about how awesome uh mushrooms are mm. and and he said uh uh you know that basically it 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 it's it was it was transcendent and and so because of that, Hoffman goes back in the lab and synthesizes psilocybin. So the same guy, Hoffman, he, he synthesizes LSD, psilocybin, cyclobin. Um, I mean, later on, he does he's experimenting with salvia and all that stuff, but real time. So it's coming out of his lab. And then it's it's coming, and then it's it's uh, the psychologists are using it. And one of the other reasons I wanted to talk about it because it was happening right here in Southern California. So it basically came from Switzerland here to UCI, right here in Irvine, and up to LA. And there was two prominent doctors that were experimenting with it. And because it was right here in Southern California, it started leaking into other artists. Um, uh, Ken Kesey. Is a name that you may hear. He's the guy who wrote uh, "One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest." Um, Cary Grant was heavily involved in 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 um, uh, in uh, original LSD culture because what the doctors were doing is they they really believed that um, not only could it cure psychosis, they thought it could cure alcoholism. There was a doctor, uh, what's his name, Osman, I believe, that was that that uh, did an experiment on like 200 alcoholics 
and they had like a 50% recovery rate. It's a rate that's never been reproduced any other time. And it was all like an LSD experiment. But so what started happening is these doctors start sharing it, and they start thinking that it can inspire um, artists. So uh, this guy at UCI, Dr. Janiger, meets a guy named Algius Huxley, who you may know wrote a book called The Doors of Perception about his experience with mescaline. The Jim Morrison named his band after that book. So Oscar Yaniger's right here at UCI, and he gives he shares LSD with Huxley, and Huxley's like, "Oh my God, this is amazing! We got to give." And basically, all these guys, their initial reaction was, "We got to give this to everybody." And so, because of uh, Huxley, they Cary Grant, they they, had, they did an experiment where over two hundred artists were given LSD to see if it would enhance their creativity. Is this now? Is this now in the fifties? Now we're in the For- early sixties or late fifties, yeah, early sixties. Um, they, uh, so Yanniger was at UCI between 54 and 62. So, 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 so it's leaking out now, right? It's, it's, it's in, it's in popular culture because the artists, they were being, every, what's so crazy about it, it was, it was all a giant experiment. And a lot of people didn't realize at the time that they were kind of really part of this big social experiment. So they're doing it. They're sharing it with their friends. The doctors are doing it. Um, the guys up in in in, U, in Berkeley and in, in San Francisco are doing it. Allen Ginsberg, um, <clears throat> Allen Ginsberg got his first dose of L- LSD from a guy named Gottlieb, who goes on to start the CIA's MK Ultra uh, side program, and so. And that's where it gets very, very interesting because it starts out, it's, it's, it's accidentally discovered, and then they see, okay, there's going to be some psychological use here. And then they're like, oh, well, there's some artistic use here. And then they start to see, oh, well, there's like universal humanity beneficial use here. But at the same time, there's those in, invariably like always happens, there's those people that are like, we could probably weaponize this. <laughs> and so what's interesting is, and I don't need to, to throw out a ton of names and, and bore everybody. I, I'm trying to use names that at least people have recognized. But what happens is that um, some of these people who are initially part of like the, hey, yeah, this is all rad culture, end up doing some pretty nefarious stuff with it and getting involved in in the CIA. And their whole beginning of the M, uh, MK Ultra whole program was they were basically trying to destroy the human mind completely so that they could insert a mind of their own and so they would do things and they were experimenting on prisoners and doing a lot of like stuff that that isn't you know on rats i mean people get nervous if you try to shampoo a rat to make sure your shampoo doesn't give you dandruff but these they're experimenting on on people in in prison and and uh, basically trying to find out if they can destroy a human's mind with this stuff by just overdosing them constantly like every day for seven weeks. And then rebuild it. And then see if they can rebuild it to make you do what you want to do, Manchurian candidate kind of shit. Mm-hmm. And that term literally comes from a guy that was in Manchuria doing a bunch of heinous stuff on people. And after World War II, uh, America did a thing where they took a bunch of people that were really not very good people, like Nazis and 
Nazi scientists and Japanese scientists and brought him to the United States and folded him into our programs here to keep him from getting into the Russian hands. Yeah. So all these gnarly dudes came over here and they were like, hey, well, we can't really vivisect live human beings, but you did a bunch of this, <laughs> a bunch of it. Can you teach us about it? Yeah. You know, and so they that's all that all is going on. So there's hippie culture. There's breakthroughs in psychology. And then there's all this gnarly mind controlling military weaponization stuff. And it's all happening at the same time. And all the same people are involved because going back to what I said earlier, there's only like four or five guys that make the stuff in the whole world. And so, I mean, it's pretty incredible and it's all happening right here. For instance, there is a time when basically the entire world is doing a kind of acid called orange sunshine. And I encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, there's a documentary out there called Orange Sunshine, and you should see it because it's extremely interesting. And what you find out is that uh, there was this group of people called the Brotherhood of Eternal Love based right here in Laguna Beach, and they got a hold of this acid called Orange Sunshine and basically turned the entire world onto it. They were selling it in every country, and it was the preferred LSD of like the world, and they were giving it out for free. That's the other thing that's so interesting about LSD and why it was so hard to crack down on it. I mean, here's the thing. Acid wasn't, wasn't illegal until 1966. It was legal until yeah. 1966. So it had a, kind of a big following. Well, I think, I think in, in a lot of emerging pharmaceuticals and that, it's not that it was legal. It wasn't illegal, right? That's a good point. You know, it wasn't. It's yeah. That, I think I think that sits there when when you you can't make something illegal that you don't know about. Um, but yeah, I thought it was. I, I watched the I watched that documentary. You watched Orange Sunshine, yeah, yesterday, and um, it was, uh, it was yeah, it was it was. I I, I want to say cool, but um, it was very interesting, especially to see uh like the the spots i mean the laguna canyon like there's a whole strip of houses in laguna canyon and that was what they called dodge city and they all had houses in there it was a shanty town yeah and uh, they all had little houses and stuff in there and so they could always know who was there and everybody was you know they were raising kids and they were doing all kinds of stuff and they were on a lot of lsd um but it was it was pretty interesting to know how they did it i mean they were flying to germany buying a vw bus driving it to Afghanistan, picking up a load of drugs, and then shipping the van home. Yeah. You know, buying uh, uh, tons of instruments, you know, musical instruments, lining them with, you know, drugs. I mean, that that particular example was um, hash. Right. Well, they but, were funding yeah, their were, program with hash because yeah. that the point I wanted to make is originally acid, they were giving it out for free. And that's why it was so hard to combat is because most drug dealers are, are motivated by money. Whereas like they were just trying to literally turn on the world. Yeah. And so they couldn't really like get them because they couldn't bribe them or they couldn't yeah. tantalize them with anything because they they were just giving it away. At first it wasn't illegal. Right. And first then, it wasn't illegal. And then it and was then free. It was, yeah. And then they were, they, there was no tax issue. There was no, which is how they get half the criminals. Right. And it, it was just interesting because they'd have like, they literally would say like, once you're on the inner circle and you were trusted, they're like, okay, now you need to get 12 of your family, friends, coworkers to take this. 
and and you know and see what it does and then all of a sudden they were having this awakening of you know love for their fellow man you know and wanting to just you know be part of the common good i guess and for our local uh, listeners this is right like in laguna canyon by where yeah. the sawdust festival is right by the toll road yeah, yeah. i mean right? they had I, I i read something that they think there's still a huge uh cache cache yeah of lsd buried in the hills there i i would yeah. believe it i mean then they had what, what was it the mystic uh i don't know the, the store they had on pch yeah like called the I don't know. It's like the Mystic Bookstore, book the and they and they essentially would Mystic Arts, I believe. Mis, is what Mystic it was Arts, yeah. And they they but they would own bookstores and you know spiritual shops all over the place. And that was one a way that people would come in and they knew the password, so someone would give them some orange sunshine, or they were selling beads and other art and stuff like that, which was also helping fund give away the drugs for free. Right. I mean, because literally, so the guy who, who wrote that thing, it was in Life magazine, and you're right, his name was Wasson, R. Gordon Wasson. He was the vice president of J.P. J. Morgan. And so these people are, like, big, important people are yeah. having these profound experiences. So the guy at UCI, the, uh, Oscar Yaniger, the first time he took it, he, he said, uh, it really took me out of a state in which I saw the boundaries of myself and the world around me very rigorously prescribed to a state in which I saw that many, many things were possible. So these are the kind of statements that are circling around. Yeah. People are giving it away for free. It wasn't hard to – it spread extremely quickly, yeah. right? So – there's one guy, there's a guy named Owsley who knows how to make it basically in the United States. He he basically learned, you know, directly from uh, the process, somehow brought it back over from Europe. So he's like the one guy and he's supplying basically the entire world, at least the United States. Um, Timothy Leary and all he was doing up at uh, in uh, upstate New York was all coming from this Owsley guy. Eventually, another guy comes along and learns how to make it named Tim Scully, who passes it on to Nicholas Sand. Nicholas Sand decides he's going to make this orange sunshine. And they make like, I forget what the number is. It Some... was like 100 million doses. Yeah, I mean, right, like, right. It right. said it was 50 kilos or something. Right, which is, I mean, I mean barrels and barrels of this stuff. Yeah. So they have a ton of this stuff, and, and Nicholas Sand is the guy who hooks up with the, the Brotherhood here in, in Laguna Beach and basically makes them the exclusive distributor of it. And so instantly Laguna Beach just blows up. Every hippie in the world comes here because it's like the hub of this stuff. And then it's leaking out across the United States and into the rest of the world. I mean, there's a, there's a um, Saturday Night Live episode mm. where uh, Chevy Chase is, is the president. And he's like, uh, and, and people are calling in. It's like a call in if you're on, high on drugs and, and the president talks you down. He's like, oh, you, are, are you on some, uh, some blue tabs? And he's it's, like, I took some orange Dan, tabs. Dan, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Oh, it's Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Yeah. What do you need to do, uh, John? He's like, you're on some uh, orange sunshine. You need, you need to sit down, Is it down, barrel Johnny? shape? Yeah. 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 <laughs> need to have a little orange juice, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they're even talking, it was that popular. And it was all coming from one dude. This guy, Nicholas Sand, made it all, all of it. And it's going everywhere. And it's all based right here in Laguna Beach. So now here are the lines come connecting again. Here comes Timothy Leary. Mm -hmm. Boop, boop, boop. Right here to Laguna Beach and joins the Brotherhood. Had no idea until I went down this deep dive. And I'm sorry, I know this is, we really kind of specifically had... 
an agenda here tonight, but I mean, I was just so fascinated by all this. And I got to be honest, you know, I'm not a huge proponent of, of hallucinogenic drugs or I'm not telling anybody to go out there and do drugs. Uh, I just thought it was interesting as I started to, to drink rye and then I started to learn about ergot and its connection to LSD and boom, 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 and it brought me right here to Laguna Beach. I just thought it was extremely interesting. Never knew that Timothy Leary had been here and so involved. When he was arrested, it's the Brotherhood of, of mm-hmm. Eternal Love that broke him out of prison. Yeah. Who was the founder again? Gr- Greg's? The, uh, I can't think of the guy's name. That main, the first dude? I, I, I looked, I, I forget it too, but he was really good buddies with uh, Timothy Leary. Leary was arrested, was in 36 different prisons. Wow. Around the world. 36. Well, I, I think where they it. broke him out of was Folsom. Uh, it was San Luis Obispo. But they said he essentially walked out. It was a right. medium security prison. Right, right. He walked out. And they went to Switzerland, right? No, Mike Randall. Went, went Mike Randall Canada. is the guy at then, Brotherhood of Eternal Love that was dealing directly with, with Sands and buying the, the, buying the, the sunshine. And so Timothy Leary's here. They break him out of prison. I mean, he's heavily involved with them. And then, and, and uh, I didn't know this, Timothy Leary decides to run for governor of California against Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And the Brotherhood was not that stoked on that. No, they, they were like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. we don't want it. Like, They're like, that like, seems Whoa. like a lot of attention. Yeah. That's that called uh, press. Yeah. Another <laughs> little bit of information you may not have known. The Beatles song, Come Together, was written for Timothy Leary as his campaign song. Yeah. He sat in the uh, bed-in of uh, Give piece of chance all we are saying you know you see and uh i found that very interesting that he had that big a tie to lennon i think he was uh thinking they said give a piece of chance yeah yeah have a piece of the get a piece (laughs) of the orange sunshine well anyway i i just thought all that was was extremely uh, interesting and to i don't know to kind of finish it off was we're kind of drawing lines between all these names because I mean I was a huge fan of Algewis Huxley and 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 you know some of these authors before I even knew that their involvement with Kerouac psychedelics was involved in it, wasn't he? right Ginsburg um I I, I I was a fan bef- and before I had any idea that they were involved with any of this kind of stuff so uh, one of the names that I mentioned earlier Ken Kesey um, he went to Stanford. And he volunteered as a student for a program, had no idea what he was getting involved in. Um, and they were experimenting on, on people at the Menlo Park uh, facility at, on the Stanford campus. It's a uh, military facility. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Veteran hospital. Right. So at the Menlo Park Veteran Hospital, they're experimenting on people with LSD. And Kinkizi was part of that experiment and ended up writing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as a response to that, that experiment. So, um, so rye, I mean, it's affected the world. It, 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 you know, as simple as some, maybe possibly something like the, the Salem witch trials um, and, and ergot poisoning. Um, I mean, there is conjecture that... Uh, that ergot poisoning is connected to the French Revolution, to Democratic Depression in the 1700s, uh, all sorts of very interesting things where they tie all of a sudden, you know, they had a wet, cold season, 
ergity rye, and then the fit hit the shin. Yeah. So very interesting how this little <laughs> this little unassuming grass can be such a tasty beverage. <laughs> Right? Well, I, I, all I know is I'm going corned beef on sourdough the next <laughs> yeah. time. I'm getting a little haired on rye bread. Yeah. And then from that to to uh, to all the effect that it's had on, on society and, and culture and, and humanity uh, and, and continue does. I mean, there's been a, a new resurgence in the, um, the research on uh, psychedelics and, mm-hmm. and the effect on also alcoholism, addiction. Uh, depression, anxiety. If, so interesting little little plant, Rye. So I'm gonna. Can I? Rye. Hey, Rye. Hey, how you doing? Um, can I? Can I? Are kinda, you Ergot? I am. Er, 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 ergo. I, I really thought it was. I really this. thought it was pronounced ergo. Well, uh, there is a word ergo. I know, and it just it seems like ergot would yeah. be very close to that. Um, can I? Can I kind of segue or take this another route? Sure. So. Not a ton of time left. I know. Um, okay, so let's uh, take it away from necessarily straight drug okay. use and all that. But um, experience— And again, that's just where the natural timeline took me. Yeah. Experience, whether that's travel, whether that's do whatever, tends to make you open your mind, maybe be more empathetic towards people in other countries, maybe empathetic to your common man, things like that. All kinds of experience opens you up to that. Um and back in the day, let's say 50s, uh, 60s, you know, it, we had a political climate within the in the country where it was you could you could disagree, but we're all trying to make what's best for us. And then we went into this really anti-drug, anti-everything kind of um, political climate, and all we've seen is a more polarizing. Um, you know, uh, thing. I mean, our, effect. Our, effect. Our our politics right now are, are, are couldn't have been more. I mean, if it gets too much more polarized, people are going to start being killed. Well, and the last I was going to say, the last thing we need is more polarization. Yeah. What we need to start so, finding is some more middle ground. So is 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 maybe. And granted, I'm just you know just came to me. Is maybe uh, acid? Just say no, oh. or <laughs> or other things, or just lack of you know. Um, Maybe it's because we, are, you know, population's grown. Maybe it's because there's financial concerns. Maybe it's that we've gotten to everybody just does the straight and narrow what they do. People aren't looking out for outside experience. People aren't. I mean, granted, we have COVID right now, so people aren't traveling. People aren't doing that. But it seems like we've gotten into a much more lockdown way of life. No, you're right. Just and, say no. Stay in your lane. Yeah, and and so we're we're a lot. Everybody's locked down. People aren't doing things that go past their comfort zone. So it's only when you go past your comfort zone that when you're really learning something and figuring out, like, holy shit, I just flew into London and then I backpacked around Europe for 47 days. I'm not afraid to land in any city. I know I can figure it out. You know, and it's like I wonder if that kind of mentality especially with everything's handled for children these days. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to make it happen. Um, you're just ex- you're expected to be taken care of. You're expected that when you say something, someone is going to listen and call it valid. Um, is that leading to where we are today? Is the lack of or the, the taking away or il- making it illegal and criminal and all that, is that making us um, worse for experience? Is it making us... Um, Right. Well, instead of just saying no, maybe we should say yes. Occasionally. Right? I mean, um, 
pushing the boundaries and getting outside of your comfort zone um, and having experience, well, that's that's where learning comes from. Yeah. And learning is where wisdom comes from. And the wiser you are, the more rational you are and the more yeah. capable you are of dealing with what comes along in life. Um, and the more middle ground you're capable of finding when you get outside your comfort zone and you put yourself – uh, in another country or in someone else's shoes or in, in, a, in an adverse experience, will you come out the other side with more empathy now? Mm-hmm. Because you're, now you're, you're capable of being able to understand what people are going through in, in that country or, or that situation. And so the, now, now we have empathy, which is middle ground, um, which is, I think, <laughs> what we need more of these yeah, days. Yeah, I don't think we have any middle ground anymore. Right, I agree. Um, and so I, I guess, and, and I'm... I don't know, it just kind of hit me while we were talking about that, that, you know, is that something that started, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s? No, I think that's a great, I think that's a great topic. I would love to maybe continue that topic next week. Um, I'd love to talk, you know, we had, I kind of controlled this week. Uh, Last week we kicked it off. Um, But yeah, I I think next week I'd love to talk about a little bit about what's going on in the world and and maybe your guys' opinions on things like, the polarization of society and maybe how we how we can remedy that and without trying to take ourselves too seriously or be overly political so so let's plan on that for next week and uh, and that's going to do it for our show this week thank you very much for being here um please take the time to engage with us this week we we want to hear from you um it, it is your show after all and when we hear from you and and you give us insight or direction what you'd like to hear or what you enjoyed it just makes the show that much better so please take the time email me at jeremy at websworldwide.com we have a facebook page for the jeremy webisodes podcast we have an instagram page where i'm going to be posting pictures every week of a of the bottle uh of the spirit that we've we've tried that week so that you can identify the bottle if you'd like to go out and pick it up for yourself um so let's be let's be a family let's do more than just uh have this be a a a one-way relationship let's make it a two-way relationship and let us hear from you and we'll look forward to seeing you right here next week on the jeremy webisodes podcast